my mantra in life is um, identify, stand up to, and stop evil at the earliest opportunity. But for everyone else, cut them slack. Hey everyone, it's Andy Petronic, and welcome back! This is episode number 149 of the Andy Petronic Podcast, and this is where it's my job to talk health, life, and well-being with the foremost leaders in the field, giving you the joy, knowledge, and inspiration you need to live your best life. That's right, and today's episode doesn't disappoint. I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Golston. He's a psychiatrist. He's been published in about every national magazine and newspaper you can think of. He has written seven books. He's a serious expert, but I'm going to tell you more about him in a second. Before I get to that, I wanted to talk about a recent realization I had. And it came out of reading. I'm reading a book called The Warrior Book um, by Garrett White. And we, he, the, the chapter was about declaration. And I realized one of the things that I don't do, I've, I haven't done very much in my life, is declare. Uh, people don't necessarily know where I stand. They know where I stand based on my actions. They know where I stand based on the product that I produce like this podcast or like the gym that I ran for 15 years or the races that I used to run as a professional professional athlete. But in terms of my word, I don't put out there a lot, kind of what I'm thinking, how I view the world. And I don't make declarations. Now, declarations are a little bit like perhaps like goals because they set a, I think they set life in motion toward that checkpoint toward that goal. And perhaps if that's the way you're meaning a declaration, and I'm thinking of something like the declaration of independence, boy, our, our forefathers declared it and that made it so, and that set a chain of events that were life changing for all of them. And, um, I guess it's not really goals. It's just declaring how things are. And so what I've been doing as a result of understanding this a little bit better is I've been practicing by posting a daily tweet, uh, some sort of a declaration, or, or it's come in the form of questions. Like today's tweet was, do you practice making declarations? How do you make them? And do you make them to yourself or do you make them publicly? I... I think making declarations to yourself for me is a little like just taking notes and um, there's not a lot of power in that. There's a tremendous amount of power in making your declarations or your statements in public. They just put you on the hook and I, you know, there's part of me, I think that has not had the courage to do that. Because I feel this pit in my stomach when I say it. I don't want to say that. I don't want to admit that. I don't want to... uh, (laughs) I mean, I always feel like I'm a guy with a lot of courage. And yet, here's an area that perhaps 
I could use a a courage uptick, a brave uptick. So I'm doing that on Twitter. And one of the things I want to declare about this podcast, and this is pulling off any barrier between what might be happening behind the scenes and uh, in front of the scenes, is, you know, in the, in the podcasting game, the number of downloads you get really determines the magnitude of, well, in terms of magnitude of your podcast, but it also determines a lot of times who will talk to you about being a guest on your podcast. And we have been somewhere between 2,000 and 7,000 downloads an episode. I mean, it, it fluctuates. It goes up and down, but in that range for a couple years. In spite, in, in, nothing I've done has been able to really move the needle on that. Now, I do have a, Michael and I have been in the works of writing a book and hopefully that's going to come out by or somewhere around the new year. There'll be a lot to talk about around that book. We're, we're, we're working on a title right now. I'm very excited about that. Um, there are, you, you know, but in terms of downloads to the podcast, it just, it just hasn't, that hasn't come to fruition. And so one of the things I like to do is I like to self-evaluate and I makes me wonder, you know, I haven't, the one thing I haven't really been willing to do is experiment with the duration or the length of the podcast. Right now it goes like this podcast conversation part is about an hour and 40 minutes. Now, is that just too long for people? Maybe it is. I know other podcasters that have these really super long podcasts, but they were already famous before they launched their podcasts. And perhaps that's just a different thing. So I don't want to change the quality of the conversations. The conversations that I'm having with people are deep and meaningful and oh, they're amazing. And they're full of pithy action things you can take back and learn and apply to your life. So that's not going to change. But I'm going to experiment with a new format coming up in probably, well, we've got to work through some of the episodes I already have recorded. So it's going to take three to four weeks three or four episodes to come out this way, but I'm going to experiment with a format where I have nine pre-written questions that I'm going to share with a guest in advance. And we're going to just work through the list of questions. And I think that's going to help direct and guide the conversation. I'm also going to tell the guest that I'm going to put a 60 minute limit on the podcast and we'll just see. We'll just see, look, I look at all of this like experimentation and I'm still having so much fun doing the podcast that that's not changing. So I'm not, not going anywhere. Um, I'm going to streamline a few things also with the podcast write-ups and may, I may change the name again, thinking about it, just so that the name describes more what it is. I'm playing around with ideas around um, what should I tell you? Extraordinary, extraordinary, being extraordinary, that kind of a thing. Cause really that's what it describes. I mean, there's really, really, it's who I'm, what I'm, we're already talking about with people, whether it's farming or, or psych, you know, like I was going to say psychiatry or, you know, how you interact with the world and engage with the world or, or what, um, being your best self. There you go. There's another name. Great. I'm sure that's taken. Anyway, I got to introduce our guest, guys. I'm, I'm on a roll. Declarations. Consider public decora- declarations. I am. Something for you to chew on and think about. 
All right. So, Dr. Mark Golston, I'm going to read to you out of the jacket cover of his one of his books. Um, he's a psychiatrist, consultant, coach, and business advisor, author of the best-selling Just Listen and Get Out of Your Own Way. And this book that I'm reading out of is called Talking to Crazy. He blogs for the Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Business Insider, Huffington Post, and Psychology Today. He co-hosts a weekly radio show, and he's featured frequently in major media, including the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Newsweek, Time, CNN, Fox News, and the Today Show. This podcast, we, there, you know, I'd love to, I didn't have time with 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 Dr. Mark to get to some of the things I like to talk about, which are what's his daily routine? How does he integrate this stuff in his life? Because everything we were talking about was so valuable to and relatable and usable by all of us. And really, it's about relating to people in your life, relating to yourself, understanding how what you're doing and what you're saying is causing your reality and causing people to engage with you the way they do. And very practical advice that he gives to his patients. I mean, he works, he does, he's a hostage negotiating negotiator trainer. So he trains hostage negotiators. He works with, you know, I mean, some of his clients are some of the most, um, I, I, disturbed. I don't know. I don't, I don't like that word, but, um, depressed and suicidal people. He works with them all the time. And, Look, you don't have to be depressed or suicidal to get value out of this conversation. This conversation is all of us because we all have a side that this affects. We all have a side that is, God, this could be better. Have you ever had that thought? My life, my communication, my conversation with my fill in the blank, my wife, my sister, my daughter, my son, my mom, my dad could be better. That's what this podcast is all about. We talk about the difference between being right and being wrong and being wrong all the time. He has something called the FUD crud intervention. We talk about a guy named Kevin Hines, who is a survival of a suicide attempt jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. We talk about the... We talk about disappointment and people's um, unwillingness to confront disappointment. Uh, one of really awesome quote from a guy named Tim Galway uh, that has to do with giving a man fish, feeding him for a day. And there's an, I know you've heard that quote before, but this one's got a third part to it that you've got to listen in to check it out. Um, we talk about empathy and the need for empathy and understanding in the world. And uh, listen, guys, there's so much great stuff. I can't describe it all. You got to sit down. Sit, you're going to want a piece of paper and a pencil with this. So sharpen up the point. And you may even want to listen to this one twice. Now I'm getting a little crazy. So I'm going to shut up now and uh, bring in Dr. Golston. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. I'm Andy Petronic. This is Dr. Mark Galston? Goulston. 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 But it's G-A-U-L, right? No, it's G-O-U-L. G-O-U. I've been spelling it wrong. I've, I've got it in my contacts as G-A-U-L. Well, there, there you go. Galston. Goulston. 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 Jesus. Hey, good Petronic, thing this isn't, good Petronic, thing this isn't live. I, would, I wouldn't throw stones. It's a good thing this isn't live, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. 
Uh, well, thank you for being here. Um, we, we, I was so excited about you coming because I was so intrigued after our breakfast. We had breakfast a couple weeks ago. And um, yeah, you gave me a lot to think about, uh, which is what you do. You give people a lot to think about. <laughs> say more. Say more about intrigued. I mean, it's what, what what intrigued you. You mean after the conversation, or when? Like now? Now, what intrigues me? I now? just like people to talk about words because I love language. So, when what does intrigued mean to you? I want to make sure you're just make sure you stay close to the mic okay. so you're really coming in loud go. and clear. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Uh, what intrigues me? Well, you know, you're, you made some spot on, um, observations about my life and interactions that I have with people in my life, especially my wife and, um, other people that tend to be close to me and they were, and you made some suggestions about ways I could perhaps, deal with situations that are upsetting for, mm -hmm. for myself ways I can deal with them. And I found over the last few weeks in both reading your book, cause I've been reading just listen, um, that the, both the suggestion you made at breakfast and the suggestions in your book are, are incredibly profound and yet they're incredibly difficult for me to I mean the, the couple things were nowhere to start nowhere to begin and then nowhere to no and then to be willing to actually do them uh, in the moment when I'm heated and upset and because a lot of these things are interventions like just stop doing that and try mm -hmm. this sentence instead mm -hmm. and um, so and yet logically in reading your material, they make a heck of a lot of sense to me. Like the, in the moment, read, reading, I'm like, oh, I'm definitely gonna do this. And and that's how I felt after our breakfast meeting. Like, oh, I'm gonna definitely do this. And yet I haven't, I haven't yet. And it's been, what, four or five weeks. So I find that interesting. You know, as you're talking, I'm, I like making distinctions. And there's a difference between listening to someone and listening for something. Okay. And so listening to someone is more of a transactional way of listening. I'm listening to you. You say something. Uh, I respond to it. But when I'm listening for something, I actually receive it, and it and it and it and it sets in. So I think as a former hostage negotiator, uh, trainer, and a suicide specialist, uh, if I listened to what people were saying and then I responded to it, there really wouldn't be much of a connection. But if I listen for the, the hurt, the fear, the anger, the pain, the guilt, and the shame, yep. if I listen for that, I, I think people pick up that I'm listening for it and then it makes it easier for them to sort of express it. But if I'm listening to what they're saying, in their mind, if I'm listening to, they anticipate that they're going to say something and I'm going to evaluate it. Hmm. And a lot of people, well, the majority of people, don't like to feel that what they're saying is being evaluated. Right. 
And yet, on the receiving end, a lot of people say, well, in order to feel in control that I'm not getting into something irrational, I need to evaluate what's being said to me. And what happens is there may be good intentions in your evaluating what the other person says, but it can communicate to them that they are a problem that you are evaluating. Okay. As opposed to a person who's expressing something. Right. 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 So what do you do with that? Well, I, I think once you, I mean, part of my mission in life is teaching people to, well, my big mission is saving lives one conversation at a time because I think someone did that with me and that, that established the way that I interact with the world and that's why I became a suicide specialist. Was that... Before you were trained as a psychotherapist at all, or not a, as a psychiatrist at all, or was right, this- no, I was I was in well. Here's well, here's the story, and what would be interesting is how it lands for you. Okay, and and and, and then you can tell me how it lands for you. So uh, I hadn't yet become a psychiatrist. I hadn't yet finished medical school. Instead, of, in, in fact, I dropped out of medical school twice, hmm. and that was one of my biggest personal accomplishments. And that I finished. And I didn't drop out to see the world. I dropped out because I think I had an untreated depression. And what would happen is I'd read books, I'd follow what I was reading, and I'd highlight the whole book, but I couldn't retain it. Right. So all my books were just yellow, and there was a hope that by, by coloring them in yellow that somehow it was going in, and it wasn't. And so I took a leave of absence. I was passing everything uh, after I'd been in school, I think, a couple of years and then I had a blue collar job and I, I sometimes romanticize the blue collar jobs because it was the best work I've ever had. It was simple, no responsibilities. And my favorite blue collar job is in the South part of Boston, South Boston. Uh, I, what I did is I put up uh, uh, displays in liquor stores and bars hmm. So I'd be going in these grungy bars in South Boston, climbing up these rickety ladders to put up a Heineken windmill, and I would negotiate with the bartender and say, if you keep it up here for a month, you can have one for your basement. Because one thing about a lot of bartenders, if you go into their basement, you're going to die from cancer because all you see is neon. I mean, they love having this these displays in their basement. <laughs> I kid you not. Why it's, in their basement? Why? Well, well, where, wherever they have their because it's too big. Because their wives say you're not having that on mm. the ground floor. Mm. And but it's like going into a mini Las Vegas, you know, with all these wow. things. So they love that. So I would say, put the windmill up there, and you can keep a, one for yourself. And I'd be up there, and I'd see rat skeletons. I loved it. You know, I'd be off balance, and so. My mind came back at that level. I mean, it wasn't really being tested. And then I did that for a year. And then I came back. And then I came back to med school. And then within three months, I guess the depression returned. Hmm. And so I, I came from a background where, you know, my, my parents were depression age. And my father was hardworking. And basically, you know, his view was you're worth what you do. You're worth what you can produce in life. Right. So, so you get that background. And so... What was your dad? What did your dad do? Uh, he was a, a controller and an accountant, uh, uh, actually in a, a, a liquor distributing company. Ah. So, um, uh, and... 
was he first generation um, immigrant or? Did yeah, yeah, he was. He was first generation. Hmm. I mean, he was a young kid when he came over, but he yeah. was born in Austria, Hungary. So he was born okay. before World War One. And so, so what happened is, that's the mindset. You know, if, if you can't produce or do anything, you're not worth much. Right. And so there I was hitting a wall a second time. And so I met with the dean of the school who's about uh, raising money. You know, it's all about funding. And I understand that because I, now that I sort of know the business world, you've got to make money to stay alive. Yeah. And so uh, apparently every time a student took a year off, they would lose matching funds. Hmm. Uh, and, so, uh, and so when I was asking for the second leave of absence, I met with the dean of the school. Don't remember meeting with him. And then I got a call from the Dean of Students, Dean William McNary. We called him Mac, Irish Catholic, Bostonian. And so he calls me up and he says, Mac, Mac, I got a letter here. I got a letter here from the other Dean. You better get in here, Mac. So I go in there and I'm kind of down, uh, maybe really down. So imagine, you know, you know, kind of like you don't know where you are in life, what you're going to do. So he says, here, Mark, read the letter. So I read the letter, and the letter says, it's from the dean of the school, have met with, have met with Mr. Goulston, suggested an alternate career, perhaps the cello. <laughs> Out of nowhere? Uh, perhaps the cello, and I'm advising. He really said that. It's in the letter. So I'm, ad <laughs> uh, uh, I, so I'm advising the promotions committee that, he'd be asked to withdraw because for some reason I wasn't failing. And so, and, and I'm really kind of like, I don't know what's going on. And I said, I don't remember saying that about a career. And this loving dean of students, Mac, he chuckles and he says, Mac, I know you didn't say that. You're not clear enough about anything to decide on any kind of career. Right. And then I said, so, so what does this mean? And he said, Mark, you've been kicked out. And, it was, and I think, I don't believe in these things, but, but I come to believe that a miracle happened because when he said that, I felt like I, I, felt like I had a gunshot wound. And I know what a gunshot, I, I know what that feels like because I had a perforated colon about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago and I almost died. Mm. And so he said that to me and I went, <sighs> and then I felt something wet on my cheeks and I thought oh I was bleeding I mean it was like it was like I've been shot I kept looking at my fingers for blood and it wasn't blood it was tears so can you imagine the scenario and my father you know might have said well you know you should stay in if you're passing you know you know you know everybody's got problems um, and so so uh, Mac looks at me, and so there you are. You feel broken. You feel like you've just been shot. I'm crying, but I think I'm bleeding. So you picture that? Yeah. So it's kind of a low point, and that's why you know, I know what it's like when you just want the pain to go away. Mm -hmm. You know, at the bottom when people think suicidal. I wasn't thinking suicidal because he caught me. And imagine that, and he says to me, he says, Mark, uh, you didn't screw up, but you are screwed up. 
Jeez. But if you get straight, unscrewed, straight shooter. But if you get unscrewed up, I think this school would one day be glad they gave you a second chance. Hmm. And so I start to tear up. It's different than the. Ble- it's like, what's he saying to me? And then he says this to me. He says, Mark, even if you don't get unscrewed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do anything the rest of your life, I'd be proud to know you because you have goodness in you. And we don't grade that medical school. And you have no idea how much the world needs that goodness. Hmm. And you're not going to know it till you're 35. And I'm looking away because, you know, this is kind of profound. And he says, uh, uh, but you got to make it to your 35. And then he pointed at me and he said, look at me. Look at me. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed and vulnerable. And I look at him and my eyes are just pouring. And he says, you deserve to be on this planet and you're going to let me help you. And then he arranged an appeal. I mean, he was an anatomy instructor against the whole school and the most powerful person for the promotions committee to appeal that decision because he saw something in me. Pardon the interruption, but I've got to tell you about The Good Kitchen. They make prepared meals from scratch, from sustainably sourced organic food. They put them together in these delectable recipes uh, and these pack, this packaging that makes it super easy and convenient to open it up, heat it up, and eat it right on the spot. When you get these delivered, they come to your doorstep. You open up the box. You stick them in the fridge. You've got meals for a week or maybe two weeks, breakfast, lunch, or and or dinner. And they just, they, they, first of all, they're absolutely delicious. But they, for me, they were a game changer in eliminating the need to make a decision. So... I can't tell you how much I recommend you at least give it a shot. If you've never done it before, try it for the first time. You'll get 15% off your first order if you use the code thegoodkitchen.com forward slash WLC. That's not a code. That's a website. Thegoodkitchen.com forward slash WLC. 15% off your first order. Actually, I think it might even be 20% off your first order. So check it out and um, let's get back to the show. So that changed everything in me because up until that time, and and here's my view, by the way, about how people become suicidal. And that's my personal mission now. And I'm about to just launch it big time. I'm going to be speaking at Stanford. I'm keynoting at a national conference in Connecticut on suicide. So, uh, uh, but here's my model. And if you're listening or you know someone who's in a dark place, see if you can relate to this. You're going on in life, and what you're going towards orients you. So if you have a goal, it orients what you think, what you feel, what you do. And when everything's lined up and you're in flow, it's an amazing feeling. Mm -hmm. That's being in the zone. And you don't even have to think. But then when your future is ripped away from you, could be a divorce, could be bankruptcy, could be death of a kid, it could be cancer, but when your future is ripped away from you and you don't have a backup plan, it untethers your mind. Hmm. You know, I have a. I'm really taken with the three, uh, the three, the triune brain of Paul 
McLean, where we have a, a thinking, feeling, and uh, actional mind, human, mammalian, reptile. And what holds it together, tethered together, like a Rubik's Cube, all lined up, is a goal. You rip the goal out, you pull the, uh, the tether out, and you go into free fall. And if you think of the words that people use when they're falling, I've come unglued, I'm wigged out, I'm out of sorts. I'm out of my mind. Uh-huh. And so what happens is you, you, you start to fall apart. And then when that happens and you have no goal orienting you, you reach inside yourself. And if you're fortunate to have had just the right kind of mom or dad or what I've discovered, a loving mentor, and for me it was a series of mentors, when you reach in, you, you come up with, you're going you're gonna to make it through this. And if you think about what the dean of students said to me, the world needs you. You've know, you got to be kidding. <laughs> I can't do anything. And you don't have to do anything because you have some goodness. Right. Really? They don't even grade this. And not only that, because I know how much the world needs you, uh, I'm going to go to bat for you against my own interest. So, that, so what happened is when I reached in, if he had said to me, call me if, you know, if I can help, I would have gone back to my apartment. I would have stayed there. Maybe I would have pulled out of it. Maybe I'd be dead. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But that's why I think it was a miracle because right at the moment when I sort of disassembled, my mind fell apart. He put those loving hands underneath, saw value in me being even disconnected, but my goodness was still there and he mm-hmm. thought that the world needed that. And then he went to bat for me to make it happen. And I think what happens with people who often reach that point where I want the pain to go away, which equals the only way to make the pain go away is for me to go away, something in their future is ripped away. And then when they reach inside, imagine reaching inside and and they, instead of it, courage they have almost the the emotional equivalent of a gangrenous wound you reach in there and there is nothing plus there's accusations you're weak you're you're worthless and so my belief is that when people can't orient themselves because that goal is torn away and then they reach inside to come up with courage and it's like their hand is just filled with gangrene, whatever, they start to fall apart, literally. Mm-hmm. They start to get anxious. They start to get panicky. They start to feel like they could fragment. Mm-hmm. And at the moment that they feel they could fragment and they believe they will never come back, that's when I th- believe they say, uh, I need to die. Because if you really believe you're going to fragment and you won't make it back, even if it's irrational, uh, it's understandable that that's what you do. Lately, what I've been uh, saying to people is if you've ever had a kidney stone, which I've had, and a perforated colon. How do you have a perforated colon? Yeah, it was a diverticulitis, one oh, of those God. things. Oh, and, and And I didn't know it was a... <laughs> This is what was crazy. When it happened, I thought, ah, another kidney stone. If I can just tough it out, even Uh though kidney stones are murderous, if I can just tough it out and drink water, maybe I'll pass it. Right. 
Right. But I didn't realize it wasn't a kidney stone. I'd perforated my colon. And so I'm there, and I'm, I'm a medical doctor. And, uh, and it's interesting, you know, one of the things they taught us about what's called the acute abdomen, when something perforates in the abdomen, there's a test in which you just touch someone's abdomen, like just ever so lightly, mm-hmm. and they will literally, their whole body leaps off the table. It's called in re- pain. It's called rebound tenderness. And so it's something I'd learned about. I'd never felt it. And I remember, you know, with a 911 call, they took me into the uh, emergency room. And I can remember he just touched me and my whole body just left off the gurney. Wow. And, and, and in both cases, kidney stone and perforated colon, and I don't think I'm alone. What do you say to the doctor? Just kill me. Just kill me. Wow. You know, and, and because it's so horrendous, and I think the feeling. So I'm trying to equate for people who don't understand why would someone uh, take their life. Well, if you've ever had that kind of pain where you can't take it anymore, it almost feels like you know you're going to explode, like your mind's going to explode, and you don't think about things like your spouse and your kids. Right. You just feel like you're on the moment of exploding. And, and, and you can't and you don't believe you'll come back together again. And I'm sure people have seen this in war. You know, just just uh, either take the pain away, but there's been times when they say, Just kill me. You know, just well, it's funny you say that. I just had um actually it hasn't come out yet, but I just interviewed a guy who literally died on the battlefield in Baghdad and uh he came back to life fifteen minutes later with no brain damage, nothing wrong. He they did CPR on him for fifteen minutes. But he talked about when he when it was time to go. He knew it was time to go. He said that it wasn't. He was thinking about his mom and his two sisters, and uh, that it was peaceful. Peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. It was peaceful. It wasn't. It, it, there was no fight. It was just I'm going. This is happening. And um, see, but the, but the thing is. And see, one of the reasons why a lot of suicidal people are very calm the day before, they call people to give away their belongings. Hmm. People say, geez, they seem kind of upbeat. And one of the reasons on the other end of it, where people turn the violence outward, people are just cold killers, these mass shooters. If you look at pictures of them in their eyes, they're like in a trance. It's because... Something very upsetting was happening, but then they seize on the solution. So my guess is he wasn't all that peaceful until he realized, oh, I'm going to die. And you surrender to the inevitable. Right. So I don't think he was hunky-dory, you know, when he first got the wound. No, no, he was not hunky-dory when he first got it. (laughs) But, but, uh, uh, you know, but, but what happens is we grab onto something and we fixate on it. And if it's uh, and something that I write about, I wrote a article for Medium uh, where you can write articles, and it's uh-huh. called "Why People Kill Themselves." It's not depression. And what I wrote about in that is how hundreds of millions of people have depression and they don't die by suicide. Right. Uh, and what I said is one of the things that they all feel at the end when they finally do it is they all feel utterly alone. They feel disconnected from themselves, everyone else, and they can't, they can't stand the pain anymore. But then when they seize on the solution, they're very calm because what they're seeing is 
it's all going to go away. Right. Right. So that's where they become calm is, okay, this pain. Uh, and so they surrender to dying and the pain goes away. And um, uh, in their head, in their minds. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and this is also very coincidental, uh, which I don't know if that exists, coincidence, but uh, uh, a friend of mine sent me a Facebook video a couple days ago of a guy who was one of the, I don't know, there's been like nine survivors of suicide attempts jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, Kevin Hines. I'm going to meet him next week. Oh, really? So he, they and, sent and me I this met the very... fellow you talked about at, uh, at the uh, tr- CrossFit training. So Kevin, yeah, Josh, right. Oh, that's right. I I forgot you were there. Right. And Josh came in and was on the podcast, but he talked about how he leapt over the rail and the second he, his fingers left the rail, he felt instant, like he had the opportunity to experience, you know, if you were going to shoot yourself, he had that, there were what, like two seconds of hang time before he hit the water of regret, you know, like, I wish I hadn't done that. Well, well, I remember because uh, he has a wonderful movie about his life, and I've seen that. And I met him, and I'm going to meet him again. He's going to he's tours around the the world. Wow! And what he talks about is uh, after he leapt off the rail, he talks about uh, in those moments, and light, and time slows down. Yeah. Uh, he talked about thinking, "Wow, if I if I make it through this, if I live through this." You know, I'm going to want to be alive. Right. And I think part of what happens, because I've been drilling down into, uh, and I'm looking forward to speaking to him, because I, I think when I can give people some sort of intuitively correct insight into just how things fit together in a feeling way, because I, you know, I, I think as I've shared things with you, and you said intrigued, you know, it, it felt like, this is not just good knowledge. I can feel right. the relevance of this. Right. And so I think what happens is uh, when you, uh, if you do start to make a suicide uh, attempt, or if you do take pills, uh, or if you're jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, what happens is you feel the, you're about to have relief, and then your mind comes back to its senses. See, when you feel the relief's going to be there and your mind's coming back to its senses, you then say, well, I don't want right. to, I don't want to die. I got this. I got this. You know, I got the relief to the yeah. problem and uh, I don't want to die, but I'm heading towards that water pretty quickly. <laughs> right. And uh, and so that's, that's how our mind works mm-hmm. is that when you can, uh, and it's interesting because when I, in this pro, uh, program that I'm taking around the country and maybe beyond, uh, there's a point at which when you reach the point where you can't make the pain go away, I can't stand the pain, and then you may get calm by uh, choosing to to die by suicide. I've spoken to more than a few veterans, and a number of them will talk about, uh, and they, they, they'll talk about there's a moment in which you're looking down the barrel of your gun, and you're not kidding and even if you're not religious, you start to say, God, uh, I'm going to do this, and you surrender. And I think, uh, and, and what I'm trying to teach people is uh, you surrender because, let's say you're a control freak, and 
there's nothing worse than being out of control. And you say to yourself, there's nothing worse than being out of control. And I'm not in control. I mean, I have no control of my life and there's nothing worse than this. Mm-hmm. So if you can choose, I'm, I'm just going to surrender. I'm going to go Zen. Mm-hmm. There's something about giving up control that's freeing. But to a control freak, it sounds like that doesn't sound freeing. That sounds like I'm going to freak out. Uh, in fact, I have a, a, there's a great quote that I've been using lately, and I tweaked it up. And, uh, and, and the quote was, uh, well, it's a Q&A. It's on my Twitter feed. The question is, uh, what is the time in an argument that each person hates most but it is the best chance for resolving the argument. Want the answer? Right before the explosion. What is the best time? Listen, what is the best time? What is the worst time for, for each person in the middle of an argument, but the best time for resolving it? Here's the answer. Before it starts. When both people admit and accept they're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. See how it got you? Because what happens is if you can just sort of do that and you surrender to it. Well, it's a little bit like I told someone the other day, uh, I told my son this the other day. I'm like, when you don't get upset, actually, I was talking about his mom, my wife. I said, you know, when mommy doesn't get upset with me for some little silly thing that I, you know, am heckling her for, it just goes away. I got nothing to push off against Mm -hmm. and it immediately has me moving on. Like I I don't, there's, there's no fun in that. Like if, if, if I'm talking about like fun banter or like a, like a little insult you might throw at someone just for, for kicks. Um, it's, it, it loses all power when that person, Oh yeah, you're right. I do do that, you know, or, you know, whatever, it's, which is another way of just giving in. Yeah, and, and it's a kind of a surrendering. Yeah. Um, there's another quote I like, in matters of the world, stay in control. In matters of the heart, give it up. Hmm. And it's tough for a lot of people to do it because it works so well in matters of the world. Yeah. But the point is, matters of the world aren't about relating It's about accomplishing things. But matters of the heart, it's about relating. Right. Right. And if you come from a position of I need to be right, uh, I need to be in control, it kills all the relating. Yep. Okay, I've got to come clean. I am a journal junkie. Over the past five years, I've collected somewhere between 8 and 12 journals, and although I don't use any of them as written, I've pulled in ideas from some of them to improve my own journaling practice. The most recent of these, and one of the best ones I've ever laid eyes on, is called the Happier Mind Journal. Have you ever heard of guided meditation? Well, the Happier Mind Journal is a 90-day guided journal. It takes all the guesswork out of it, so that you'll never stare at a blank page again wondering what the heck to write. It has you draw upon all five of your senses when writing each day and helps you gain clarity around what you want, helps you manifest it by writing about the things that will really make a difference, and it has a built-in accountability system where you get a chance to review how you're doing every 10 days. 
It's the perfect tool to help you take charge of your life and live with purpose and intention. You want one? Simple. Go to www.happiermindjournal.com. And if you want to get 20% off your purchase only for podcast listeners, use the code WLC20 at checkout. This will be one journal purchase you'll be really glad you made. Let's get back to the show. Something I've also discovered, um, and tell me if you're going to understand this, and I think if you do, you're going to chuckle like, Mark, where do you get this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) But what I've noticed in a lot of good people of argument, they're in argument, uh, and it's escalating. And and I'll often hear this when I facilitate it between a a man and a woman. Um, Or I remember one argument, I'd say, let me ask you, are you each saying to the other person, uh, I'm right and you're wrong? Or are you each saying to the other person, damn it, I'm not wrong all the time. And that's what they, they say. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying the other person I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, I'm not arrogant. But what I'm saying is I'm not wrong all the time. Right. I said, well, you have a funny way of saying it. <laughs> right. But can you see the difference? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. It's huge. Yeah, huge. That's huge. Yeah. Intriguing, huh? <laughs> you, well, potentially useful. I yeah. mean, I, you know... Um, before it, it, we, it, well, in fact, here, here's the use. Here's the tip because I like to give tips. So it's escalating and it's going down that road. And if you can stop yourself, uh, you'll be a runaway train. But if you can stop yourself and you say, wait a minute. And they're going to say, what? Do you think I'm saying that you're wrong and I'm right? Yeah, absolutely. That's all you're saying. Uh, I'm not saying that you're wrong and I'm right. What I'm saying is I'm not wrong all the time. Right. See, see the difference? Yeah. I can see using that if I'm... Yeah, I, I was going to say I can see using that if I'm being accused by whoever I'm in the argument with of something. But if I'm accusing them, it might not work so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that brings up a, a counter thing. So I'm pretty good on my feet, but I could I could screw this one up. So what you're saying is, what if the other person is looking at you and they're not saying they're not wrong? They're saying you're wrong and I'm right. Yeah. Um. So here's a tactic that I, uh, or I'm looking at them and saying you're wrong and I'm right. I'm actually saying that, mm-hmm. not I'm not wrong all the time. Right. So this, I, it's, this is hard to hold on to. So here's an intervention that you can apply to almost any argument. It's what I call the FUD crud intervention. So I come up with these things so people can remember. Mm-hmm. And what FUD stands for is frustrated, upset, disappointed. So you got to have the presence of mind, and you have to you have to say to yourself, "Do I want to make this argument? Do I want things to get better, or do I want to be right?" Because if you want to and need to be right at all costs, this will not work. But if you want to make it better, uh, this is magical. And so it's escalating. And what you want to do, you know, when the other person has just said something and they're kind of reloading, 
is you can say something like, um, uh, uh, wait, I, I, I want to try something that could take this to a better place. You know, you know, can we just try it? And if it doesn't work, you know, we can just you know, keep arguing. But you have to say it firmly like that. What? Let me just try it. And then you look them straight in the eye and say, I want you to think of the times when you've been the most frustrated, upset, and disappointed with me. Uh, and I'd like you to give me an example of each. And I'd like you uh, to bring up times where you didn't think our relationship would even make it. And so what happens is when you flip it that way and you invite them uh, to tell you what they were frustrated, upset, and disappointed, and use it in that order, because what you really want to get out is the anger. But a lot of times if you say to someone, you seem angry, <laughs> they escalate. They right. feel attacked. Right. Everybody is, is okay with saying they were frustrated about something. And so right, they start right, to talk and right. you milk it out of them. And you could say, so, so tell me about what frustrated you. And then in my book, Just Listen, I have these things called conversation deepeners. So when they're talking about what frustrated them, uh, if you can focus on four things, because you know, I'm a student of this, if you can focus on hyperbole, like awful, horrendous, or if you focus on inflection, they raise their voice and, yeah, that was really something that was really, uh, you know, wasn't a good thing. Or if you focus on adverbs uh, which embellish a verb mm -hmm. or adjectives which embellish a noun, all four of those have emotional juice on them. And what you want to do is get them to punch themselves up. So when they tell you what's, frust what's frustrated and they talk about, yeah, there was this awful thing you did and they go all on and on, they're going to expect you to get defensive. But instead, if you keep looking at them and, and you say, this is really important, say more about the awful thing. And when you say that to them, uh, it's going to change the, it's not going to be a, 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 a fight. And they're going to tell you uh, what was awful. And then what you might say, and you can, people can you know, have the recording of this, what you might say is, uh, give me an example of when it was the most awful for you. And when they share that, you never defend yourself. How awful was it? Uh, uh, give me an example of something in which you said, if this happens again, I can't stay in the marriage. And so what happens is you're in charge of the conversation. You're not getting defensive because as you're watching them, if you look at their eyes, what you're going to notice is a shift in their eyes because what you're doing is you're giving them a chance to get things off their chest that they've never been able to get off their chest. And, and, and you're not there getting defensive because there's a, there's a method to your madness there. There's a method to your approach. And I'm they've gonna, let go of that original oh, thing, whatever oh, yeah. they were mad totally, about totally. to begin with. Because yeah. they've, they've shifted into this other, even yeah, more Yeah, because you're not being thing. defensive. What you're doing right. is you're not only validating what they're upset with you about. What you're saying is, you know, while we're on this topic, let's get some of, let's get it all out. Right. What? Let's get it all out. And that's where you can use the words. Uh, uh, and so what frustrated you about that? They tell you. And that's where you want to get the anger out. And you say, you know, if I was you, I wouldn't just be frustrated. I'd be upset. What upset you about that? So that's where you milk the anger out. Mm -hmm. And you go in using the same things, the, uh, 
uh, hyperbole, inflection, adjectives and adverbs, and when they talk about what they were upset about, you say, say more about that. Or another conversation deepener that's in just listen is when they say it, you go, really? So you're inviting them, really? And they say, oh yeah, you were awful, you were horrendous. I mean, I, I cried, you know, I, I, you know, you slept in the other room, uh, and I just cried the whole night. Really? But the real flipper is to say, you know, if I was you, I wouldn't have just been frustrated and upset with me. I would have been disappointed. You know, how disappointed were you? And one of the most profound quotes I've ever heard about, or insights about disappointment, it may be the top thing. And a friend of mine uh, uh I'm forgetting his name, and he deserves me remembering him. Uh, uh, but what he said is uh, that the reason we don't resolve conflicts is because we're afraid to admit to ourselves how deeply disappointed we are in others, ourselves, our business. And I, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if you really admit to yourself, I'm really disappointed in my boss, but you need the job, uh, there's something that feels, well, if you're so disappointed, why don't you leave? So we right. won't admit it to ourselves. Right. Or if you admit to yourself, I'm really disappointed in my spouse, well, if you're so disappointed, get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Or I'm really disappointed in my child, uh, well, then you're an awful parent. You don't even like your child. What is wrong with you? Or if you're really disappointed in yourself, I'll, I'll, I'll have to die. I'll have to take my life. So here is the profound insight that I thought was fascinating. He said, the way we try to cope and deny disappointment, there's two things that we do. We either get angry or we shut down. Mm-hmm. And I said, isn't that an expression of disappointment? He said, no, it's an avoidance of disappointment. And it was so profound because I think he was right. Because do you follow me? That inside there's this fear. If I really intuitively accept that I'm disappointed, then, you're, you're I, then, out. then I have to sever have the to, relationship. You have to change your life. Right. And, and so this is one of those breakthroughs uh-huh. that if you can actually realize that you're disappointed, you actually don't have to do anything. And, and, and he actually did an exercise with me. Um, and, you know, I miss my dad. I wish we'd been closer. He was kind of a critical dad. And he did an exercise with me. And I was talking about my dad. And I said, well, my dad did the best he could. And he said, well, you know, but weren't you upset with him? Yeah, but, you know, he was better than his dad. Uh, you know, I, I, and I kept making excuses. And there was one point uh, where uh, where I said... Uh, I was disappointed in my dad. I was about to say something. He said, shh, shut up. Say it again. I was disappointed in my dad. And he said, just stay with it. And it was the weirdest experience because the fear, if I really admit I was disappointed, and he died 22 years ago, I'd have to sever you know, an emotional connection with him. But instead of that, when I just admitted it and felt it, I just felt this overwhelming feeling of sadness, like, why did it have to be that way for him, for me? 
It didn't sever anything. But are you following any of this? Oh yeah. So so, so yeah. No, join I, in and tell me how you're relating to any of this. Because I'm, I'm I'm having some trouble with that actually. Because I because my dad passed away uh, about ten years ago, and very similar. As you were saying, what you were saying about your dad, I was feeling that about my dad, because I always felt that way, disappointed and uh, hurt, and um, but I don't think I ever stayed with disappointment. Um, I always wanted it to have been a different way, and I. I felt like it was it has been you know i we resolved as much as we could resolve before he passed away um so what's hitting a nerve with you well either there's more there more sadness or uh i don't know there is more sadness mm -hmm. I, I, does that ever go away i think it does because See, something else, uh, here's, a, uh, here's another quote uh, that I, I love. I'm a collector of quotes. And a friend of mine, Dr. Shawnee Duperon, and she is the founder of something called, I think, Project Forgive. It's about forgiveness. It was nominated for a Nobel Prize. Wow. And uh, I like collecting quotes, you know, and I like making up some, but I like collecting good ones. And... There were a few quotes that, to me, were the nothing had ever cracked the top three. So I'll tell you what the top three are, and you'll say, well, that's, that's pretty rough. Uh, no one's going to crack those. Right. Because Shawnee's quote blew them all away. So I know I'm tangential, but hopefully your listeners are saying, yeah, it's okay, Mark, you're tangential. We're listening to you. So here are my three favorite quotes. Uh, one comes from a friend of mine, Tim Galway, who was the founder of the Inner Game of tennis, golf. So he's the inner game guy. I've heard of he's Tim the top Galway. he's the top sports psychologist. He yeah. founded sports psychology. Okay. And a great guy, real guru, uh, still practicing, uh, speaks around the world. But I love this quote. And and this is what I do, and you can use this when you're trying to show an audience that they jump to conclusions. And so one of my books was Get Out of Your Own Way. Uh, it's up there, you know, Overcoming Self-Defeating Behavior. Uh -huh. So one of the things I want to show people is, well, you know, you know, how much is jumping to conclusions costing you? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. And I said, well, let me give you a quote that you've never heard of. And so here's the quote from Tim Galway. If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish you feed him for a lifetime so everybody in the audience is looking at each other i've heard that i know what that one is you know and so in their mind you know i know what i said no 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 you haven't heard the entire quote i'll go over it again if you give a man a fish you feed him for a day if you teach a man to fish you feed him for a lifetime but if you teach a man to learn you feed him for a lifetime and he doesn't have to just eat fish <laughs> That's great. I told you it's a great quote. That's and does, great. And doesn't it show how we jump to conclusions yes. prematurely? Yes. You got it. Take that one to the bank. That's great. I love it. Quote, Tim. Uh, another one is from a, a, a British psychoanalyst uh, uh, named Wilfred Bion. 
and it's in Just Listen, and it's really the fabric of Just Listen. And what he said is the purest form of listening is to listen without memory or desire. Because when you listen with memory, you have an old personal agenda that you're plugging people into. And when you listen with desire, you have a new present or future personal agenda that you're plugging them into. But in neither case are you listening to where they're coming from. So in my book, Just Listen, I talk about what you should do instead is you want to be a PAL. And PAL stands for Purposeful Agendaless Listening. So you let go of your agenda. So that's a pretty good quote. And your memory. Right, right. So you're really present. Right. And then another one of my quotes, which is in uh, Get Out of Your Own Way. Um, It comes from Milton Greenblatt. And he said, uh, First we are children to our parents, then parents to our children, then parents to our parents, then children to our children. Right. So that that just that captures it all. That does. Yeah. So so for twenty five years, those quotes, no one had cracked the top three until Shawnee. And what Shawnee said is forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. Hmm. So I'll give you an example. One of the things my dad used to say, you know, if we wanted something was, what do you need it for? And so, you know, we felt, you know, we didn't ask for much. And it made us feel shamed and guilty and all that. But if instead my dad said, you know, I'm always worried about money. And I want to feel like I'm as good a dad as the dad next door. And I'd like to believe that I get all of you what you need. I wish I could get you what you need and what you want. But I'm always worried about money. Uh, And that's why when I say, what do you need it for? I want to convince myself that I'm okay as a dad. If he had said that, which I'm sure he felt, I would have said, Dad, you work hard. You know, you work a couple jobs. I don't think you like your job. You keep doing it. You're a good dad. But he didn't say that. Right. And so by accepting that apology, I was able to let it go. And in my mind, I you know, lately I've been apologizing to him like, "Geez, I'm sorry for whatever chip on the shoulder I had." Mm-hmm. And you did the best you could. And sure, you know, I would have liked your style to be different, but you know, you you really did want the best for us. You just sort of came from a you know, fearful, negative point of view, and I'm sorry. So isn't that powerful? That's powerful. Yeah. yeah. How how do you feel about self forgiveness? Um, it's interesting. Uh, that's. I've had a lot of trouble with that myself. And what's interesting is I have much more self-confidence than I have self-esteem. So I have confidence that I can do things, but I don't necessarily feel that I'm particularly worthwhile. Okay. Maybe because I can always do it better or it's not good enough or, you know, because I, 
you know, I can be jealous of friends and, you know, that's, you shouldn't do that as a friend. And so I'm flawed and all that. And there's a weird thing that's happening now. And I mentor about 25 people. I'm trying to help it happen for them earlier than it did for me. So I was blessed to have seven mentors. They all passed away. There was that dean of students. My last mentor was a fellow named Warren Bennis. If you ever look up the word uh, leadership, he was one of the top people. Hmm. And, and all my mentors saw something in me that I didn't. I mean, something good. Mm-hmm. They believed in me when I didn't. You know, they weren't, they weren't really project mentors. They weren't helping me uh, to improve my performance. They were helping me to fulfill, find my calling mm-hmm. and fulfill it. But the weirdest thing is I'm starting to look at me through the eyes of my mentors. Mm. And it is so painful and healing to look at me through my mentor's eyes and look at me, you know, as problems with self-forgiveness and say, hey, and in my mind's eye, what my, ki- what my dead mentors say to me, you know, when I'm moping is they say, Mark, or Mark, Mark, what, what, what? Put a sock in it. <laughs> and it's said with such love. Right. You know, and then I'll make some other excuse to beat up on myself. Say, Mark, sock, get the sock. And I just remember them, and I think, boy, how lucky I was. Do you have mentors like that? I, you know, it's funny. As you were saying mentors, I, I have people who have been – never a devi- I've never identified someone as a mentor. You know, I have friends that I consider more mentors than friends, like friends that I don't – hang out with or call to have a beer with or but they're they're you know like they always provide me with good advice or insight mm-hmm. but i've never identified anyone as a mentor i don't even really know what it means really well so here's the difference between a coach and a mentor and i'm more of a mentor and uh you know this is like a marriage proposal on the thing uh, if you would consider me a mentor i would love to be that for you if you'll have me. Me? Right now? Yeah. And I'll tell you the difference. A coach is focused on results. Right. Company hires the coach. We got to get better results and we got to make sure that their personality doesn't screw things up. And what I tell companies, and so my coaching career isn't all that great, is I say, uh, <laughs> uh, I have too only, many mentors, mentees. <laughs> I, only do a, I only do a coach mentor hybrid and I believe they'll perform better, but all I'm focused on is, first of all, I want them to be people that I see that have a kind of goodness in them that someone once saw in me. Mm -hmm. And my only goal is to help them discover, define, and distill the reason they were born and then help them live it. Now, if they do that in your company, that's great. But if there's a better place for them to do it, I'm going to suggest it. Hmm. And so, uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, the more enlightened people will do what you're doing. They'll go, whoa. But I, you know, uh, but I'm getting more interest in that. Yeah. And so, um, so 
because of marketing and the whole life challenge, you know, you got to keep that because it's so tangible and you get your six things. But, seven things. Like I said, seven things. Yeah. <laughs> you can remember quotes, but not seven I can't things. Remember. I don't even know where I parked my car. Uh, 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 where was my car? Okay. But, uh, but as I get to know you, um, maybe part of it, and may, I don't know if we add this to the whole life challenge, but I think there's a part of you that might add to it the whole person challenge. Hmm. Um, because if you have a whole life, but you're not a whole person, you've missed something. Yeah. And you can do a lot. Of, and one of the things, if you're not a whole person, you can have a whole life and still not have peace. Absolutely. And so, and it may be, I mean, you'll, you'll let this sink in. You'll say, look, let's just do, let's just do the whole life challenge. Mark, we're sort of doing well with that. But, uh, <laughs> but the point is, uh, you know, let it sink in and, you know, and if you like it or if someone's listening saying, you know, well, if Annie doesn't want it, I'm game. But, but it feels like you're on a journey for both. I want the people I help to have a whole life, but I'd like them to have a whole person. Yeah. Boy, maybe we'll do a, a workshop on how to forgive yourself, you know, because it wasn't just random question that you brought up. No, it's something that uh, I practiced and studied um, quite a lot, actually, at the University of Santa Monica. And it was really the keystone in their program. You know, it took probably a year. It was a two-year program. And it took probably till like the end of the first year to get to the lesson where we learned about what it means to self forgive. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there's a lot of foundation laying before that. And so let me try something on you. Okay. Okay. Um, I'd like you to imagine that you're imagining your dad and saying, uh, Dad, I want to apologize because I think I harbored resentment and disappointment in you when you kind of did the best you could uh, and I held on to it and it was a wedge between us and I am sorry that I didn't know better. And I'd like you to imagine him saying to you, Andy, put a sock in it that makes two of us. Hmm. Can you imagine any of that? I can. Can you take it in? For some reason, it's not, it doesn't... Uh, well, it, maybe well, this. well, you'll take it in afterwards, but yeah. the point is... Uh, it may have been too much of technique for what's just the podcast. You know, here right. I'm going to right. try an example with you, yep. and you're not going to be a monkey jumping, jumping through hoops, <laughs> but then you'll call me two days from now and say, Mark, well, I can't stop profound. crying. Right, <laughs> right. Well, that's how I felt when you were doing the exercise with your dad on you around the disappointment. Oh. I didn't feel that just now, but yeah. 
Yeah. Well, well, think about it. But if you're listening to it, if you're listening in or watching, because uh, sometimes, sometimes it's tough to forgive ourselves if we harbor grudges. Yeah. And that reminds me of another thing. I'm giving away all my best stuff. You can use these in your program services. <laughs> So I, I so I remember I did maybe I'll use this you know an upcoming talk where who, who hasn't listened to this you know you don't it's not like you have a million listeners Andy but um, not as many people as that have read your books my gosh I mean bestseller this bottom one is in Russian I've never seen a Russian book it's very cool that's right it's hot. what is it what is the translation name get a, uh, talking to crazy became how to talk to a holes <laughs> it went viral it went viral in Russia that's hilarious. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I uh, uh, look. I, I'm not talking politics, but I've only had a good experience with the Russian people. People are people. People are people. Yeah, you know. And uh, uh, but the exercise that I can remember, uh, this is a cool exercise. Uh, so, if you're presenting to a group, well, this isn't for any group, but if you were to say, if I could give you the secret to Peace, happiness, and maybe success. And you agreed with it. Would you be willing to embrace it and practice it? Now, if you disagree with it, you can throw it away. And so I remember everyone saying, oh, I'm game. You know, he's going to, you know, oh, God, I'm going to finally, you know, I'm going to finally buy Bitcoin. This is great. And I'm going to flip a house all at the same time. How cool (laughs) is that? Right. Uh, But uh, and so they said, yeah, I'm game. And so I took out a little piece of paper and I wrote something down. And I passed it to a person on the left side of the front row. And each person looked at it smiling and they opened it and they went oh and then they passed it to the next person the next person the next person and they all did the same thing and the word was forgiveness huh. I mean, it was fascinating huh. so can you see that i can yeah. yeah yeah so that is a technique and even if it doesn't fly because i'm sharing techniques that you know you had to be there but um, well, I got I got a question about forgiveness because this is something that always was a tweak that I had to work with, which was if you're forgiving someone, you're implying that something that they did was wrong. Forgiving is letting go of your angry attachment to what they did. It doesn't mean giving them another chance to hurt you. So you can forgiving means I'm going to let go of my anger about it because it's only eating me up. I won't forget it, and I won't let I won't give you another chance, right, to do it again. But you you are saying aren't aren't you saying like if I say I forgive you for stealing my quarter that was sitting on my kitchen counter downstairs? You saw that? (laughs) (laughs) I forgive you, Mark. It was only a nickel, Andy. Implying that 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 thing you did you perpetrated against me. There's something wrong. Mm-hmm. There, but it, but in matters of emotions, are are there wrongs? Like one of the things I heard you say when it came, comes to my dad is, Dad, I I realize you were doing the best you could. There there was really no intentional wrongdoing on my dad's part. I interpreted it as wrongdoing. 
I like he should be he should have been there for me. He should have been a better dad. He should have been there to listen to me. He should have been there to, you know, pick me up when the pieces when things fell apart and he wasn't. So so by forgiving him am I inadvertently saying there was actually something wrong with what he did? Well, just in the process of Well, let me pose that. this to you. Um my mantra in life is um, identify, stand up to, and stop evil at the earliest opportunity, but for everyone else, cut them slack. Hey guys, last interruption, I promise. A reminder that the Andy Patronic podcast lives and breathes based on word of mouth and your reviews in iTunes. If you want to help me help you and help the community of listeners of quality podcasts, please forward the episode to a friend. If there's something in it that you think they would get value from tweet about it, post it in social media, post a picture of you. Uh, I don't know the cover of your podcast app and you listening to a certain episode and put it up in your Instagram, tag me with it. Make sure you do that. Um, put it up in Facebook. I would love it. And all it does is it helps me help you. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate it. You can also leave a review if you go to bit.ly, B-I-T L-Y forward slash Andy Patronic podcast. It will open up iTunes and give you a chance to leave a review. Hopefully it's five stars. Um, and uh, actually just write a review and leave a five star rating. There is a difference. So uh, thank you very much in advance. I really appreciate you being a listener and a loyal follower and a downloader. And uh, let's get back to the show. Truly evil people, get away from them, destroy them before they hurt other people. But for everyone else, uh, cut them slack. And what I'll say to people is, uh, if you look for reasons to forgive your dad, you can find them. If you look for reasons to not forgive him, you can find those too. Uh-huh. It comes down to what you want to look for, and one of the reasons, that, and one of the reasons I look really good for my age, is because I don't, I don't like being unforgiving. I don't like being around people who are unforgiving. Uh-huh. It's exhausting, and so I. Uh, so I choose to look for reasons to forgive. Now that said, I'm not going to let someone hurt me over and over again. Uh, and I'm very protective of the people uh, I care about and I love. It's amazing. I, I don't stand up that well for me, but if someone tries to bully or take advantage of anyone I care about, uh, I'm vicious. Mm-hmm. And I like that. You know, I like you know standing up for others. But... Um, so it's up to you, uh, you know, and I choose to be forgiving. Doesn't mean I forget and give people another chance to hurt me, but that's a conscious choice because uh, I've known people in my family who had unforgiving streaks and wider, and they weren't happy and they didn't make the people around them happy. Okay, so I'm going to just take this thread of what I was saying and just go a little further with it. Would it be more accurate to say I, and this goes back to the self-forgiveness piece, would it be more accurate to say I forgive 
myself for judging my dad as being a bad guy, being a jerk, being a bad father, being a, so I'm, I'm forgiving myself for my judgment of him, mm-hmm. not judging him mm-hmm. for not forgiving him for doing these things. That that's the process that I undertook that they taught at university of Santa Monica, which was to kind of do this shim sham flim flam switcheroo from forgiving others to forgiving yourself for the judgment of others. Well, here's the problem I have. And I know a lot of people have gone to that and it's a wonderful, uh, life-changing experience, University of Santa Monica. And I know a number of people have gone through that. Mm-hmm. I know a number of people have gone through Insight Seminars, yeah, right. Landmark, yep. LifeSpring, and all those things. Um, one of the challenges I have, but this may only be me, and why those things didn't work that well for me, is I could see how... Uh, and I and here's a here's a here's something I'm pretty I've actually forgiven myself for this. Uh, I, I've always felt less than, especially a lot of men, because at my core I'm not an I, I'm a we. Mm-hmm. And at my core I'm a we wanting to partner with people who don't tell me I'm right, but who can complement my huge deficits and together let's rock and roll and change the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe save some lives. But I always thought I was less than other people because a lot of people had these mantras. I have never been able to use a self statement and have it stick. But when I picture any of my seven dead mentors saying to me those things, huh. like, see, and see, I can get into a dialogue in my head with any of those mentors and they can say, when they say, Mark, put a sock in it. Mark, forgive yourself. I mean, in the past, I think I, I think this is going reasonably well. But in the past, you know, I would have said, Mark, could you? Afterwards, I would have said, could you be more tangential? I mean, could you finish a story for once in your <laughs> life? You know, Andy was so patient with you, but sometimes he was like a deer in the headlights of a, you know, who knows where you were going. And, and what I would usually do is call upon my dead mentors and say, God, what am I going to learn to finish a story? What am I going to learn to go one, two, three, four? And all my dead mentors now say, Mark, Mark, you you are requested to be a guest on podcast two times a week. You've got 200 po- guest podcast appearances. A lot of people even say they'd like you back. So put a sock in it already. Right, right. But I'm so tangential. Whereas, And so because at my core I'm a we, right. I can accept that. Right. Whereas whenever I've come up with a certain statement, like, Mark, you need to forgive yourself. You need to stop having this perfectionism. Mm -hmm. You know, Mark, uh, uh, give yourself a good grade for being spontaneous and authentic. You don't have to be that organized. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I can say those things, but they don't land with me. Yeah, right. Because at my core, I'm this we. Right. And and I used to be ashamed of that, but now I'm teaching that around the world. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that's why, you know, part of my missions of saving lives, healing the world one conversation at a time, because I think when when people can actually feel a sense of we that they're being talked with hmm. instead of being even talked to. Right. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm hallucinating it, but I, but it feels like when I'm talking with people, 
people just lean into that like right. like I don't know what you're doing, Mark, but I want more of that. Well, let me. So I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you. We were talking earlier about depression and suicide, some pretty heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of what you write about in your books that is very useful for people that aren't even close to being depressed sure. or aren't even close to being suicidal. Sure. I mean, not even in the ballpark. Like me, I'm not depressed or suicidal, and yet mm-hmm. I find a ton of useful stuff. Is it just a continuum? Are we all potentially depressed and suicidal and they're just further down this continuum? And so all the, 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 the methods that you describe in your books are all useful for all of us simply because we're, we find ourselves somewhere on this line. Well, I think, um, I think just listen is not a book about depression. It's not about a book about preventing suicide. Yeah. But if you learn to listen and you learn to give people empathy, uh, it actually alleviates other people's depression and may actually prevent suicide. Empathy but, being. So empathy. Okay. So one of the keys of. Uh, Stay close to the mic. One of the keys in just listen that I hope people will get is how do you have conversations with the other person feels felt? Right. Not just feeling understood. And something I... What's the uh, difference? Well, the difference is... Um, so, so, here's the difference. Understanding you. Uh, you love... Your, how old your child? 11. Okay. And you love your child. I do. Um, you... Uh, and it's important that uh, you're a good parent. Uh-huh. Uh, that you, what's your child's name again? Dashel. Dashel. It's important that Dashel learn the things uh, uh, that he, 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 yeah, yeah, that he, he needs, you know, so that he can hit the ground running at age 18, all yep. those things. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so I understand that. Um, but what if I understand that if you catch yourself being to him the way your dad was to you in a bad way and if your wife says you know you really broke Dashiell's spirit you know I mean um, having known what that feels like how could you do that and I think that's something to the core of who you are you never want to do. Right. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. So can you see how one is more feeling understood? A hundred percent. Yeah. And so explain the difference as someone <laughs> experiencing it. Uh, one felt like it connected to my heart, the second one. Mm-hmm. And the first one was very logical, very fact-based, very... Um, you got the bullet points that were that I that you knew, but the second one was was uh, there were no bullet points. It, it, it just cut right to the heart. And, and what was the experience of the second one? 
at, at having something cut to the heart. So you felt felt. Uh, you I know. felt felt. Yeah. And what was that experience like, as opposed to just sharing content? And it felt like you knew me. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, like so, like it was. Um, where the other one was, uh, what <laughs> you knew a bunch of statistics. So the first was coaching. The second was mentoring. Hmm. Hmm. Kareem has a wonderful ju- book out about his fifty years with uh, Coach Wooden. Mm-hmm. He loved the man. Yeah, and. I mean, I, I, I would, I think the world needs more mentors who are there for you, for who you could become. Was uh, was Coach Wooden a mentor of Kareem's or a or a coach? Oh, I think no, he, he was the coach. He, he yeah, you know, he, no, I know, I know, yeah, he was. Yeah, I mean, his coach at UCLA, right? Uh, and he wrote a book, uh, Wooden, on the power of mentors. One of his lesser ones, oh. and he actually talked about his mentors, including Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Mother Teresa. So you don't have to actually know the person to have them touch something in you and inspire you. Right, right. And want to be like that person. Right. You know, plus he mentioned other people that, uh, and, and in that book, a number of his players, including Kareem and uh, Bill Walton, you know, they talked about what he meant to them. But, uh, but, uh, and it's interesting, my last mentor uh, who died, a fellow named Warren Bennis, uh, a year after he died, I wrote a tribute to him when he died. And a year after he died, I I, I had a bad day, and I didn't know it was because he, it was the anniversary. And as a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, I've heard of things called anniversary reactions. I've helped people through them. You know, it's the anniversary of a death, of a divorce, or bankruptcy. And, you know, and I can, you know, be somewhat empathic, but I never personally understood it. And on that day, I was having a bad day, and I didn't know what it was about. And I think my wife said, didn't uh, Warren die a year ago? And so I wrote a tribute to him. I, it was called A Personal Remembrance in One Year. And I got pretty emotional, and I said, you know, I thought, I thought it was Warren's respect for me and belief in me that really made all the difference in the world. You know, because to get respect from someone who's highly respected is pretty amazing. But what I wrote about is I think what made the difference is he enjoyed me. Hmm. I wasn't a burden to him. I put a smile on his face and it and it had nothing to do with a project we were working on. So when I would see him, there'd be this huge smile, glad to see you. Uh, and uh, and and feeling enjoyed, right, by someone you looked up to, right. And I said it's healing. And what I wrote in that, if you're a mentor, now, now you may be a mentor for a specific project, but I will tell you, if you're a mentor, if you're a designated mentor, there are some mentees that you have that you could heal. And sure, respect them. Sure, believe in them. But a lot of them have never felt enjoyed. They felt like a burden to their family. You know, their parents were angry. And the fact that you could actually enjoy them. Yeah. In fact, I think one of the things that helped me be effective when I was, I'm not currently seeing suicidal patients, 
And when I asked them, you know, what's the difference? I mean, you know, why is this helpful? And this really got to me. Uh, a couple of them said, you're the only one in my life who's glad to see me. You're the only one I put a smile on your face. I put a smile on my parents' face when they're relieved to find out that I didn't blow my brains out. But everybody else is worried. Did you take your medicine? Mm-hmm. They're concerned. And even they say, even though they say I'm not a burden, they know and I know I'm a burden, you know, which is one of the things that makes me suicidal. <laughs> but when I see you, I mean, you greet me. You have, you have this, this shit-eating grin. Uh, you're <laughs> glad to see me. I don't even know what you're looking at. And, and you don't know what it's like to have an oasis where someone is actually glad to see you for you, mm. not for anything you do, whether you took your medicine, whether you did your homework. And, uh, and a couple of people said, and it was life-saving. So yeah, you're, so, you're sort that. of getting some I, of this? Oh, I yeah. see that. Oh, I totally see that. Yeah. yeah. What, what are you getting from it? What are you getting well, from I just, this? Well, I, I picture... Um, I, I was picturing my mom, actually. Hmm. Um, and wondering what she thinks of me and my sister. Um, I wonder if my sister's going to listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> my sister tends to worry a lot about things in general. Uh, and it's not that I don't, but we have very different ways about how we process stuff. I would, I would say that she might say that I tend to be, I tend to ignore things. I tend to not care about things that she thinks are, could be life or death, you know, medications. My mom's 85, 83, 85, 83, somewhere in there. Um, and I tend to take my mom's word for how she's doing, how she's feeling. My, my sister doesn't take her word for it. You know, she's like, well, she's not telling you the full truth and she really feels like crap and really did And I tend to be more, um, just enjoying my mom for who she is in the moment. Yeah. And your mom, um, you know, feels that she needs to, with you, she accentuates the positive. And by the way, when people talk about positive things, they actually feel better. I mean, you know, when you get people talking about positive things as opposed to, you know, dwelling on the negative things, it yeah. can actually change the way you feel. Hmm. So she sees you as that way. Your sister sees you as a rah-rah. Right. You know, and your sister's saying she doesn't open up to you because, you know, uh, you don't listen and you probably think about your, well, to your sister, well, you and she dwell in it too much. Yep. And I'm not sure what good that is. Um, and uh, here's a good, here's a good uh, exercise, which you probably won't do because, you know, my batting average is pretty poor with you. But uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm 0 for 1. 0 for 1, I'm yeah. 0 for 1. Yeah, Come missed on, the whole that's life not challenge. so bad. Hey, you stay on people's How many bats? whole life challenges have you done? Seven. No. No, have you done how many whole you got? None. Thank you. <laughs> I'm over one with you. <laughs> I'll, I'll mentor you. You bust my ass so that I live another two years. All right. But uh, <laughs> but um a good question to ask your mom is 
um, uh, when after I uh, after I visit you, how much do you look forward to seeing me versus not again? And she's going to say, what is that about? Right. Say, well, if, you know, I tend to accentuate the positive. But if I'm accentuating the positive and you have to put on a happy face. Right. Because that's kind of what I like to hear. It could be exhausting to put on a happy face when you're not happy. Mm-hmm. And if, it, if it's having that effect then you might be glad for my success and you love my sister and me and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, it may translate into, you know, you know, I need a break from Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or you might say, it's exactly what I need. I need the shot in the arm because I can dwell on the negative and your sister can dwell on the negative. No, no, I always look forward to seeing you. Right. You know, because I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the other hand, uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, so, so I'd like to know that after we visit, that you'd like to see me sooner because you felt it was helpful and uplifting. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it was something in which, you know, you, we can feel the love between each other, we're devoted, but that, you know, I really didn't understand where you're coming from and I didn't seem to want to understand, you know, then you might feel differently. And I'm not saying I'll change, but I'd like to know. I like that. I like that. Because then then I'll know. And then I can know if I need to make some adjustments or not. Here's here's something I want you to watch and everybody else who's listening can watch. Uh, Oprah Winfrey occasionally does 60-minute segments. Mm Mm-hmm. And she did a segment on treating childhood trauma. And in the, if you watch the segment and then you watch the five or six minute overtime, you know how they go overtime? Yeah. What Oprah says in the overtime, and I think she's since said it elsewhere, she said it was the most life-changing segment of anything she's ever done in her career. Wow. And she said what she learned, and it totally changed the way she approaches people. She said that how they approach people in this trauma clinic, I think in Wisconsin, uh, is when they look at traumatized kids, uh, instead of saying, uh, uh, why, you know, why are you acting up? Instead of kind of being a little judgmental, even though you're trying to be helpful, they totally look at the kids with a look that that believes whatever they're doing is a result of what happened to them. And so their question, and they look at people with is, what happened to you? And Oprah says, that's not what she says to people. So when someone acts up, and I may be wrong, but I even think she was implying that you know even a mass shooter is in custody and they're not going to hurt anyone anymore. But I think the question to ask is, what happened to you that you ended up killing a lot of people? But if you listen to her, I mean, you could see something. It grabbed her by the throat. Hmm. So I don't know if she's continuing to do it. Why am I bringing this up? You might try something with your sister and say, you know, you and I see things very differently. 
What happened to you that you became such a warrior? Just listen. I can, I can, I could see her getting defensive in that I would tell her that she's a warrior right, right away. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, no, so here's how you frame it. I could say, um, what is something that you think I least understand about you? You know, cause I think, you know, we love each other as siblings, but, um, I'm committing what you say is, uh, as part of my whole, I, I'm at, I think I'm adding an eighth thing of my whole, my whole chal- person challenge. Whole, whole person challenge is um, I'm, I'm committing myself to a program of personal development in an area that I could stand to develop. It. I could stand to develop. And that is in the area of really making an effort to understand people better. Mm. Because when I listen to people, I tend to understand in order to turn it into a problem to be solved. Yes. And I feel I'm being very responsible, but really what I am is I'm being unresponsive. You know, yeah, what I'm pointing out is what I think they need, and certainly they need it if they're as out of shape as you are, Mark. But if they don't want it, I'm really not being responsive. Okay. And and I'm committing myself as a, you know, to to being to being better. So what is something that? Oh, this is the killer. Say this to your sister. What is something that I've never understood about you, and that you feel I've never wanted to understand about you? Because hmm. I'll tell you what screws up a lot of relationships, and I've heard wives say this about husbands I don't care that he doesn't understand me he'll never be able to understand me what I care about is he doesn't want to make the effort to understand me even if there's no way that he'll be able to do it I want to see him making the effort to understand me even if he'll never be able to Mm. And by the way, if, if any of you can track with that, uh, one of the ways you make an effort to understand someone that you will never be able to understand is when they say something, uh, what, you can, what you can say is say to them is, this is too important for me to not understand. Run it my, by me a different way so maybe I can, ca- I can catch it just that effort it doesn't even matter for the end of the second time you're still as clueless <laughs> it really yeah, right. doesn't right because they feel the effort you know what's amazing about that suggestion and a lot of the suggestions that i've read so far is where i get stuck is the moment before i'm able to actually think clearly enough to ask that question I, I get so caught up in the emotion of whatever it is I'm feeling, upset, angry, judgmental, you know, pissed off, unheard, unlistened to, you know, uh, whatever. I think I've said them all um, that I think you said before, if you have a desire to be right over a desire to be happy or or reconciled. Um, in the moment 
that's all it seems like I have a desire for is to be right. And so my big hang up has always been in that moment before, because I can sit here and nod and agree with you. And these sound, that sounds wonderful. So say this to me. Okay. I don't know if you'll keep the commitment. Uh, Mark, I'll forgive myself for this. You'll say it, but I got to work on it. Uh, I'm very thin skinned when I feel someone has dealt with me in an unjust way. You want me to say that? That's what you feel, right? When That's you exactly feel, when what you I feel. feel. Someone yes. has dealt with you in an unjust way. I am very thin skinned. Yes. Very thin skinned. And, um, and I often defend it, but it's, it's a, it's a flaw. Only say it if you mean it. Yeah, I only defend it if it's a, it is a flaw. It is a flaw. Mm-hmm. It, it, it affects the deepest, most meaningful relationships of my life. And over it, and over again. And it keeps me from getting as close to people as I want to. Yes, it keeps me from getting as close to people as I want to. Absolutely. So, here's something you should say to people who take the whole life challenge. People don't do what's important to them. They do what they care enough about. Maybe I'll, you know, you know, maybe we'll do a trade and maybe I'll, you know, I'll, I'll I do walk 10,000 steps every other week. No, but uh, I'm doing a little of that. Uh, every other week? No, no, no. I do it several times a I'm week. I'm like, wait a second. It's only about a thousand steps a day. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm saying it because I'm guilty. I, what you are know, you, riding a Segway no, 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 from no, your no, car no, to the no, house? Trust and... me. Trust me. I, I do that 10,000 <laughs> steps and I say, uh, uh, and, 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 and I say, screw my upper body. That's enough. <laughs> no push-ups. No, no, that, you know, that's a, you know, I mean, my arms, they're like spaghetti, but, uh, but I'm using CBD cream and I don't care. But, All right. uh, <laughs> uh, so, but, so people do what they care enough about. Yes. So the point is you just said something and you won't do anything about the thin skinness if you don't care enough about it. That's what it comes down to. Okay. Yeah, it's important to you, but it's up to you. You know, that's my challenge. Well, how do I ratchet up the caring? Because I do, I think I care. But if you look at the evidence would say that I don't care because Mm -hmm. it's still there. And it's, and I've been looking at this for years. I mean, this has been a thing. I mean, I think I'm maybe better a little bit than I was 15 years ago. God, I hope so. Okay. So uh, this is quite a podcast. I I don't even know if you're going to publish it. (laughs) Is this this going live stream? It's already live. It's too late. She was. It's too late. How long have we been going? Yeah, we got to end soon. Life year. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> this is the this is the real life challenge. This is like light years to some distant galaxy. So you, you want to motivate you? Uh, uh, and I'm scared. You're scared about what I'm going to say. Yes. Uh, um, I want you to say to your wife, when I'm behaving at my most defensive, sort of condescending, uh, impatient, don't want to be bothered self. What does that do to your respect for me? And how much you want to respect me? If you say that, 
And I know it's just a technique here, but if you say that. Just any time. I don't have to be upset or. No, well, I'd, I'd pick a tender time. Okay. Okay. Not, don't do it just I have a Dr. Mark assignment. So <laughs> it's in trouble. Right, right, it's right. It's either going to get me in trouble or I'm going to get lucky. I don't know which yeah, right, one. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, uh, but if you say it at the right time, I can't totally predict it. But if you're fortunate, she'll start to cry. Because the pain it causes her to lose respect for you is huge. Because she thinks the world of you. But when you do things that eliminate her ability to respect you, it's very painful. Right. And so the point is, why am I doing this? Because I think there's those moments where... Uh, the pain you cause others can flip a switch in you. Like, I'll tell you something with that did something in my my own relationship. Um, you know, we've talked about so much, but uh, 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 years ago, and my wife is tough. I mean, she, you know, she's she doesn't suffer fools gladly, and she's not a great fan of my immaturity. Have you practiced what you do in your books with your wife? I mean, is, are these things that she uh, 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 reads yeah. and practices no, on you and no, you she, practice no, on no, her? She, she doesn't read it because she knows whenever we get into a mess, I'm the one who's going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> she's got nothing to do. No, no, no. But she's great. She's great. She's great. And uh, uh, But years ago, but this is the power of how you can change something. So, you know, I'm a you know, pretty heavyweight shrink and see life and death, people getting divorced, yada, yada, yada. And so I must have told her, don't call me, you know, when I'm in a session because, you know, big Dr. Colston's and stuff. So uh, I'm with a couple. And this is, I don't know how many years ago, probably over 30 years ago. And she pages me. I don't know if I had beepers back then. And so the couple, of course, you know, they don't want to share their time with me picking up a phone call. And so I pick up the phone and she's on it. And the people are looking at me like you're looking at me. And they're, they're saying, okay, this better be good. You charge enough. Uh, right. Uh, and what I'd say to that couple now, you couldn't even come close to affording me now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, and so I pick up the phone and my wife says, uh, don't be angry at me. Which, of course, makes me a little, yeah, okay. And yep. I'm smiling like this and they're looking at me. And she says, don't be, I said, it's okay. She says, I'm lying on the bathroom floor and I can't move. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's exactly. And I try, and my eyes were going to go up like that, but I just went, I said, huh? And the couple's looking at me. She said, don't be. I said, no, it's okay. She said, I'm lying on the bathroom floor and I can't move. I said, um, okay, I'll, you know, I'll call uh, emergency. I'll be home. And, you know, and then I told the couple, you got to leave. And I can remember driving home, and I'm sure this is uh, embellishment, but it felt like I bent the wheel of my car because I was so angry at myself. Like, who are you? And I'd call 911. You were angry at yourself? Yeah, for like, she was afraid to call me. Oh, oh, got it. Yeah, you, you, got, got, a, it. you got a ways to grow, my friend, my mentee here. Right. But, uh, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> 
are we still live? Damn it! I, I should have shut that thing off. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You can whatever. But anyway, no. So so I'm driving home and I'm so angry at myself. Yeah. So I get there and my wife is you know on the shy side, and so she's lying there and she starts kissing my hand, saying, "Please don't be angry at me. Don't be angry at me." And it was an ovarian cyst that was fine. And I remember I went into the uh, other part of the bathroom and, and I was looking in the mirror and I put water on my face. And I remember staring at myself and I said, what kind of animal are you? Hmm. What is wrong with you? She's afraid to call. What is wrong? And, and so you can take things like that and flip the switch. So ever since then, I've told my wife and my kids, you can call me anytime but realize that sometimes I'm involved in some high stake stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you can pause and you don't have to, but I'd appreciate it. if you could pause and think about what it is you kind of want me to do, I'd appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I can just see it. I can just see me looking in the mirror. Wow. And just, uh, uh, so I'm sharing that with you, um, not to upset you, but if your wife gives you a taste of that, right. And if she looks away, See, I think these are the kinds of things that can motivate people. Yeah. These are the things that can make you care enough about something to make that change. You know, it's funny. uh, Usually I finish a podcast by, uh, well, first I ask people about their daily habits and stuff that other people could take away and use in their life. But this podcast from the beginning has been about things that people can take away and use in their life. So um, I... I just appreciate you being here and you sharing your secrets, your insights, your wisdom, your kindness um, with everyone, with the, my audience, with me, and um, your the contribution you continue to make to the world in your in the books you write and your your presence, your being. Well, thank you. Uh, before we end, I got to do a reality check with my dead mentors. I was so tangential. Do you think anyone got anything out of it? You know, was there one nugget? Was there a pony in that whole pile? And they're all singing in unison. Irish accent. USC professor. Mark, put a sock in it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great way to end. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Andy. And thanks so much for listening. If you want to know more about what I'm learning each month, head over to andypetronic.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. If you were touched, moved, or inspired by anything you heard today, chances are someone else you know would be too. Please take a moment to think about who and send them a link to this episode. And if you're super stoked, please head over to iTunes to write a review. The best way to keep current on guests and episodes is to subscribe so that the latest one will automatically get delivered straight to your phone. The apps I used for this are Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or Pocket Casts. The Andy Petronic Podcast is produced by our team, Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. Big thanks to Nikki Grudadaria for the artwork. You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening.